0: We did not want this to go this way. And why did you bring little hammers and a can of gasoline? (laughs) Because we thought it might go this way. You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud,
1: and at obpapparel.com.
0: everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It is episode 214. It's October 24th, 2019. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. Liam, we have so much to talk about this week. And as always, so many things we can't talk about. It is a very late Wednesday night as we're recording this. Uh, it'll drop on Thursday. But uh, it's the Wednesday Night War. It's NXT. It's AEW. Uh, it was another night in, in the Wednesday Night War. Uh, it was newsworthy. Finn Balor turned heel and went after Johnny Gargano, uh, which seems to set up uh, a couple of programs on that show. Um what'd you watch this week and what'd you like? Uh, mostly AEW. I, the stuff from NXT I saw was that main event angle. Oh, and I know some people, uh, that have, maybe that have to watch both shows for their jobs every week. Don't like that NXT have, has an overrun, but I like it because it means I can watch whatever the main event of AEW is and then see whatever the big angle or match uh, is on NXT TV as well. So, um, yeah, as far as NXT went, I saw the Matt Riddle and Cameron Grimes match. Uh, what a terrible name. And <laughs> uh, that ruled. and Matt Riddle is such a star. And... Then, yeah, I saw the the big main event angle where Ra- Roger Strong retained the North American title. And then Ciampa, Gargano came out. They teased fighting each other and then instead turned to face the Undisputed Era. And then Balor came out and it looks like we're, we're setting up, you know, the good guys versus the heel faction. But then Balor, in fact, turns and just beats the ever-loving tar out of Johnny Gargano, gives him the bloody Sunday on the metal ramp and uh, leaves him laying, and so you have, it appears... Meanwhile, the Undisputed Era beats up Ciampa, so you seemingly set up your world title feud with Ciampa versus Cole, and also a very exciting potential feud between the former face of NXT and, I guess, the current face of NXT, so that's that's pretty exciting. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, AEW was... It was a show. It was in front. <laughs> it, I mean, it, I think most of the shows have been, have ranged from good to very good, but they're in front of hot crowds that are willing everything to be better than it probably is, but. Yeah. There's, I mean, hot crowd, some hot angles, uh, you know, Moxley and in a time limit draw, uh, the next chapter in the Cody Jericho thing, uh, the Bucks get a win over private part, over, uh, best friends rather. And then you get the tag team, uh, tournaments, uh, final set, and, uh, Britt Baker went over in her hometown. Imagine that. <laughs> Dr. Britt Baker. That's right. So that's kind of Wednesday Night War stuff. Uh, it was another week. Uh, SmackDown and Raw continue to exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't really confirm that because nobody's, <laughs> nobody's watching SmackDown as it turns out, but. Yeah. Uh SmackDown was not a very good show last week. Hey, Eric Bischoff got fired. Uh we didn't do a show last week. <laughs> but he was uh, nominally in charge of SmackDown and uh he got fired. And they put Bruce Pritchard in his spot, but apparently Bruce Pritchard and Ed Kosky have been putting the shows together <laughs> for the last three months anyway, because Eric uh would turn his cell phone off <laughs> when he left the offices <laughs> He left the office at 7 o'clock every night, and when he would go to TV, he would just sit in catering, and he didn't know any of the talent, so other people had to put the shows together. Hmm. Imagine Eric Bischoff not working out in 2019. I just, I mean, I think none of us maybe expected it to be this soon, but in what world was this ever going to last? I don't know. I mean, I think they. if he was just the guy that talked to the network, I think it would have been okay. <laughs> like, I really do. Um, you know, but ultimately both of these guys were hired to be fired. <laughs> I'm just not sure that we expected SmackDown to lose a million viewers from week one to week two on Fox and then, like, another... Uh, eight hundred thousand, week, week two, week three, or whatever the number was. Like, but like if he if he's the sacrificial lamb for that, it's like, well, what happens in? I mean, you would hope that at least for their sake that they're approaching whatever the basement of what they're going to be doing on Fox is. But it's like, what if it? Or what if it doesn't get better? <laughs> like, and obviously the the other problem was that they. In, in week one, SmackDown had a very big lead in that, you know, the coveted 18 to 49 demographic, and they were, like, barely beating whatever that Tom Selleck cop show is on CBS this week. So it's, it's less of a – even though, yes, they are maybe going to win the night in total viewership, the value in them doing that is not there if they're not winning big in those key demos. So I, I don't – like – I get that Eric was probably hired in some ways to be that sacrificial lamb, but also it's like, maybe they should have waited like six weeks and then fired him because might get worse. That's, that's fair. That's a fair point right there. Um, I don't know, man, uh, as you mentioned, hopefully they're approaching the basement <laughs> or the, you know, as low as, as viewership's going to get there, but I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Um, it doesn't feel like Raw or SmackDown right now is building towards anything, mainly because Crown Jewel is the next pay-per-view, um, and it's on. Uh, it's a week from Thursday, which is another one of those weird WWE-speak things. Vince you, <laughs> you thinks no one knows dates. <laughs> it, it, like, in your life, anywhere, at your job, with your family, when you go out and buy things at a retail store, wherever, does anyone use phraseology like a week from Thursday? <laughs> uh, not, not that I'm familiar with, but maybe I just haven't been going to uh, pretentious enough grocery stores. It's very old-timey. <laughs> yes. like It's a time when like the poors don't have access to calendars, <laughs> so we just have to tell them a day... We have to tell them what day it will be instead. It's like, no one talks like that. I mean, I, there's a million things you can nitpick uh WWE right now, but anyway, that's the one that really was grinding my gears this week. It would be a week from Thursday is when uh, Crown Jewel takes place. Um, obviously, you know, Raw was weird this week because, uh, like, half the roster was working a SmackDown house show in Australia, and... This crown jewel show has Lesnar versus Velazquez and Braun Strowman versus Tyson Fury as the top two matches, and Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt, who are now on different brands, are fighting for the Raw title. And I don't know, there's really not a whole. I mean, I know they have the tag team World Cup thing, and there's a United States Battle Royal thing on the show, and and Rick uh, Ric Flair versus Uncle Terry, squad. right. Yeah, uh, problematic Uncle Terry and problematic Uncle Rick. <laughs> <laughs> leading, uh, leading teams against each other. I mean, it's just, it doesn't feel like either show really has a direction. It's like, this is the time of year where we should be, you know, building towards WrestleMania. Like, we should have people in place, <laughs> ready, to build but, towards WrestleMania. But and that have... never happens, except on accident last year when they accidentally made Becky Lynch the biggest star in the company <laughs> because Nia Jax accidentally punched her in the face. Like, yeah. this stuff, they never do this stuff on purpose. Like, they never start building before January for this. And you're right. And I thought with all, of, and they made such a big deal of the rivalry between Fox and USA during those lovely draft specials over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I was expecting that to give way into our Survivor Series plugs for, you know, the one night a year when Raw raw guys Mm -hmm. wrestle SmackDown guys, if you don't count the Crown Jewel show where a bunch of Raw guys are wrestling a bunch of SmackDown guys. Um, but there really hasn't been that, and I get it because they don't necessarily want to plug on the show after Crown Jewel, before Crown Jewel, but... it does mean that everyone not on Crown Jewel is just kind of sitting around. I assume Kevin Owens is not going. I assume Daniel Bryan is not going again. So neither one of them really have a direction on television at the moment. And yeah, otherwise, like, Raw was made invented by Luke Gallows this week. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I, it, it does not feel like they're building to anything big, even though this show is, what what do they always say? Equivalent to WrestleMania or something? They have some weird terminology for these Saudi shows. Right, it's equivalent to or greater than, <laughs> like it's something like that. I don't... Yeah, exceeds. I think I think they use the word exceed. But anyway, <laughs> sure. It does not feel like that. I mean, I I'm interested in the what they're going to do with Brock and Kane. I'm moderately interested in how a wrestling match is going to go between a boxer who has a fight in a couple of months and Braun Strowman, who is very limited. And, but I like neither one of those feel like these big time must see things for me. Um, so yeah, it's, and I do think having no women on the show (laughs) this week also hurt them. Um, not that there's anything they can really build to because it's, no, you know, they don't have a match on Crown Jewel, obviously, and then the show after that is the Raw vs. SmackDown show, I imagine. So they don't really have any angles to shoot until we get to that point. And even after that, Becky will, I guess, feud. I guess they're going to finally do that Becky-Bailey match. But then after that, it's like, I don't know. I don't even – I'm not even 100% sure who is on Raw for Becky to feud with. Right. So <laughs> – well, I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks, but, yeah, this is, uh yeah, there's just no sense of any kind of uh, urgency or excitement in the air, and it's, I don't even think these Fox shows least what I've seen of them have been terrible, but it's just when you do the big, you know, you play the trumpets and you go, oh, my God, we're on Fox now, it's going to be great, and then it's just the same show it always is, that's, I think that can't help but be a letdown. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I like Bailey and I like Nikki Cross, but I'm not super psyched for Nikki Cross challenging for Bailey's title on SmackDown. This doesn't, this doesn't yeah. do much for me. I mean, I guess that's fine as a TV program, and I assume it'll be her big, I, I, I don't, Do you think they're going to keep her and Sasha together? Do you think one of them turns back already? I think one of them has to turn back already just because, I mean, it's got to be, and it's probably got to be Sasha just because of what they've done to Bailey. (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) Like, I I don't think it it particularly uh, does either one of them good to turn back already, but... It seems, they, I mean, just look at who's over there. I mean, they, I guess they put Alexa Bliss over there and they can always go do that, but. They've rested so many times this year already and so I, many times two years ago. <laughs> I know. All right. So this is going to lead into what the kind of big picture stuff that we want to talk about this week because the current, the current WWE stuff is just really not all all that interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, so talk about how they've done that match so many times, uh, this year and in, uh The Wrestling Observer last week, I was going down the list of... uh There was a breakdown of, you know, who was on what roster and all that stuff. And I'm looking at the Raw roster, and it's like there's three heel women and three face women. And <laughs> then you look at the tag team division, and it's like there are three heel tag teams and three baby face tag teams. And you go over to SmackDown, and it's the same deal. These divisions are so thin that yeah. you run through programs... I mean, the reason that you get, you know, like three months of Lacey Evans and Becky Lynch is because there's only like four people on the roster. <laughs> and so you got it. You have no choice but to do these programs for three straight months, whether or not they're working or not. And then, you know, you you just you burn through everything really quickly. But which, no one's forcing them to leave, you know. Shayna Baszler and Candice LeRae and Bianca Belair and all those other women wrestling in front of 200 people in Orlando. Like, there's there's no reason they couldn't have better women's divisions or tag team divisions on both shows if they wanted. Other than that, in a very, like, selfish and short-sighted moment, they decided they wanted to try to screw with the other company. Like, there's no reason they couldn't just bring up a bunch of people and build those divisions. But that would also take someone that has, uh, you know, an attention span longer than a fruit fly and who cares about building up tag teams and women's divisions. So you have a deeper pool of talent. So calling up a bunch of people, as we've seen, as, as when uh, probably almost a year ago now, when they called up eight people at once and did nothing with them for six months and then called up four more guys and did nothing with them for a while, it's like on my my answer when you when you talk about depth, I think, is generally on this show and when we're just talking in private, is always just call people up. <laughs> Take them out of Uncle Paul's Vanity Project and go put them on the main roster where you actually need them and where the TV deals matter. But I, then I argue with myself in that moment because I'm like, well, even if they call them up, they're, like Vince will lose interest in every single one of these because he doesn't really care about tag team wrestling and he sort of cares about women's wrestling because he knows it's like something he should care about and like the audience responds positively to it but he doesn't get it either and so Vince it's like Vince on one hand Vince doesn't care about tag teams on the other he doesn't get women's wrestling so no matter how many great talented people they call up it's all just gonna be the same to an extent if that makes sense which is why I would argue that let's not call anybody up. Let's just not split the rosters. Because, <laughs> because at, even though, like, splitting the rosters and creating your own competition is a good idea in theory. If you go back and read, like, the last several back issues of the Wrestling Observer newsletter from 2002 that are yeah. on that website, and when they split the brands the first time, they're like, this looks like it should be working, but ratings are going down, and attendance is going down and it's not working. And aside from a slight bump when John Cena got really popular in like 2006 and seven and eight, um, it's, gen- it's generally just been a, an arrow straight down <laughs> since, yeah. since 2001 in virtually every conceivable metric. And it's like, we, you know, I'm not saying that. All of their ills will be healed if they just don't split the rosters anymore. (laughs) But even this year, when ratings went into a free fall, their big idea was the wild card rule where they where they basically did away with the roster split. And I'm not saying it, you know, worked wonders for the ratings, but it did stabilize them. Yes. So let's just not split the rosters, okay? And let's get rid of like half the titles. Yeah, you could do that. But again, I just you're right, because there's the line about those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's like, yes, on paper, creating your own competition and and it gives more. You have to build up. more, And the idea would be, well, since we only have a limited number of big time stars that have to be split between two shows, now we have to create new stars to go so that we have more stars, (laughs) but they never do that.
1: (laughs) They don't know how.
0: (laughs) The last star that I think you can say they honestly made was AJ Styles, who was kind of already a star when he walked into the company, but they did and have pushed him at a high level pretty consistently since he walked in the door. And they did put him over Ambrose and Cena and, like, made a a concerted effort to make him a tip-top guy. And then they took the title off of him and put it on Bray Wyatt so he could wrestle Randy Orton and AJ Styles ended up wrestling Shane McMahon. So, like, (laughs) it's like even when they make a new star, they end up cutting under, you know, cutting the legs out from under them when they don't have to. And so it's like, yeah, theoretically, the brand split would create, like you said, create your own competition, creates storylines in and of themselves that, oh, the the network executives want you know want to put these matches together because they're big time matches with big stars, and you can build up new people and give them a chance to shine who wouldn't get a chance to shine otherwise, but it just it never happens that way no it has not it has not worked for seventeen years <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, which leads to a larger discussion that we were having in private this week about how if you take you know. Vince starting his national expansion with you know signing Hulk Hogan and Gene Okerlund in nineteen eighty in December nineteen eighty three as the beginning of his national expansion. So really, like the beginning in nineteen eighty four. So that's uh, thirty five years ago, and let's call the end of the Austin Rock Boom period two thousand one. So 17 years on one end and then 02 to 19 you got, oh, we're at about 17 years on the other end. Which means that Vince McMahon has been a bad wrestling promoter for as long as he was a good wrestling promoter now. Isn't that crazy to think about? That's like when people point out that like TNA has lasted longer than WCW and ECW did.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, so,
0: did yeah. you, I mean, since we're booking the territory here, let's <laughs> psychoanalyze Vince. Was Vince just luck... Did he luck into talent that... Or did he have enough vision to sign talent that was so good that he couldn't screw up, like with Hulk Hogan? Or did he make a mistake in getting deeper and more involved in creative in the 90s and... I don't know. Where did it all go wrong, I guess? And was he was Vince ever a genius? I mean, you would think the answer is yes, but then there's the last 17 years which say no. So I don't know the answer to your question, if I'm being honest with you. But yeah, if you look at it, he had... I think it's a combination of both. He himself was a great television performer, and he had the greatest baby face of all time to work with. And then The Rock came along, who is you know, the most charismatic person maybe to ever be on a wrestling screen, you know, on a wrestling TV show. Yeah. And, yeah, and he had Hogan in the 80s, who was the perfect guy for that. And he had Piper to be the perfect anchor for Hogan and Savage and all these other crazy talented guys that he bought up from everybody else's territories. So it's like, on one hand, it's like, well, he was – but I also think there was a time, and we've talked about this several times over the years, but there was also a time when, like, when he would realize – that things were going poorly and would attempt to correct it. Like if you remember the, you know, the famous Brett screwed Brett interview on raw, (laughs) that was supposed to be a babyface interview where Vince went out and talked about the time honored tradition and how unprofessional Brett was for not laying down for Sean. Um, But the crowd hated him for that. And so he went, okay, they want me to be the villain. I'll be the greatest villain of all time. And then he was. Right, um, But I also think that taught him at a certain point, and we, we've seen this for years with Diminishing Returns, which is the way to turn things around when things aren't going well is more McMahon's, which is why we ended up with the, <laughs> the last three years of Shane McMahon's reign of terror on SmackDown. Like because now Vince decided he was too old, so now his kids have to be on TV. But Stephanie and Hunter are smart enough to leave TV when they know the ratings are going to go down. And Shane's an idiot who just so wants his dad to say that he loves him, and he never will. And so he'll just be like, "Yeah, Pop, I'll be on TV every week for you. I'll be on both shows if you want, Pop." And so that's how, like that's how we ended up with Shane McMahon all over both shows for six months. Like that's because he, like he still. I mean, we've talked about this a million times. If Sergeant Slaughter could still bump, (laughs) he would be on Raw right now. If Roddy Piper was alive, I think he would be on Raw right now in some capacity. Boss man. Um, (laughs) Absolutely boss man, 100%. Um, And maybe he'd even be going back to some people that are sadly no longer with us that he just always thought would be a star, like Test or someone. If Test was still alive, he would probably be in the company. Like, he, I think... He still has these ideas, and unlike maybe in 1998, where he would listen to something and go, you know what, I'm not giving them what they want right now, I need to change this. He would go, no, this is what has always worked, and this will turn things around, even though there's now over a decade's worth of uh, of evidence saying, well, these things that used to work don't really work anymore. He's st- He still seems to want to go back to them, so it's I think he's just... I think he just got old and does, and felt and feels like he had he knows all the tricks and and so he just relies on the same four things that he feels like always worked for him. But it's also like even if you look at Cena, and as you pointed out, Cena was kind of the one era where the bleeding stopped a little bit. Um, yeah. Like Cena didn't lose for like three years. <laughs> And, like, but when it was time to build Roman Reigns, and the, I think the Daniel Bryan thing broke him, too, because <laughs> that was, like, the one time where the crowd made him put a guy that he did not want to be in the main event of WrestleMania in the main event of WrestleMania. And so he, and then he somehow convinced himself that the booking of Daniel Bryan was his idea the whole time. <laughs> and that's how we're going to get Roman over, and it's how we're going to get Seth over, and we're going to beat him and make them sad sacks, and that'll make the crowd care about them. And that... Did, and, and instead of looking at Daniel Bryan going, wow, that's a once-in-a-lifetime talent that we lucked into, and he was able to overcome <laughs> some bad stuff that I threw at him, similarly to, say, like uh, bringing in Steve Austin and, and making him a mute and calling him the ringmaster <laughs> um, was a bad idea. <laughs> but Austin was able to overcome that, and when he did, when they finally handed him the ball, he took it and ran with it. So it's like it just feels like Vince, to me, more than anything else, has just lost his ability to adapt and to not just go with. It's kind of like a, a Joe Flacco offense with the Ravens the last couple of years. We are like, I think he's talented, but he kind of just does the same thing every play. And he yeah. kind of only seems to have about three plays in his playbook. <laughs> and these plays aren't working anymore. <laughs> so we need to change things. But Joe Flacco, the type of quarterback he is, is not someone who can adapt. He can throw the ball real far, and he can dump it off to his receivers. And that worked for a long time when you had really talented playmakers like Dennis Pitta and Ray Rice playing with him. But when those guys went away and he still tried to do that, those, those types of plays, it didn't work so well anymore. So because we no longer have a Steve Austin or a Rock or a Hogan or an Undertaker or a Cena, for that matter... um, it's like we're still trying to run the same playbook, but it doesn't work anymore. And when someone tries to tell him, hey, we need a new playbook, boss, that person doesn't work there no more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I I always point to Dave Batista's return in 2014, like the first Raw Big Dave was on there was his like the first segment that he was in did like 5 million viewers. Yeah. That was like the last high water mark I think <laughs> for for WWE viewership. <laughs> but if you go back, you know, uh 8 to 10 years before that, you know, those that number was was pretty close to what they were still getting every Monday night. And really is would the number still be in that range? if Vince had not allowed the Ultimate Fighter on Spike after Raw on Monday nights, which created millions of new UFC fans, (laughs) and which kind of stole a potential wrestling boom from the Cena era away from WWE and made it a UFC boom instead. And do you think the audience is so loyal that had that not happened that while numbers would be down here you know 13 years 14 years later do you think they would be at the depths that they are i think it's a great point i don't think it gets brought up nearly enough um about how the ultimate fighter and ufc took away and part of that i think is because the people in charge of wwe and ufc seem to not want to even acknowledge that there was crossover between those audiences for a long time <laughs> yeah but uh i think that's a really great point. And yeah, maybe the median age of your viewer would be like 40 right now, instead of 56 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think there are people that were, who were probably in their late twenties, early thirties, um, who saw UFC and the ultimate fighter and said, wow, oh, this is cool. And this is real and it's exciting and it's new. And they just went to that. And I do think – I don't know whether or not, you know, what kind of boom it would have been, but I, I definitely think that that hurt them. And UFC, I feel like even within, like, even the type of fan that the UFC drew, especially at their zenith, feels like the same type of person, you know, that the males 18 to 34 or 18 to 49, whatever, that WWE used to draw draw on so reliably – uh, you know, that number was absolutely cut into by UFC and by the Ultimate Fighter. So I, I think that's a great point, and I don't think it gets mentioned enough. Um, and, of course, as we've just laid out, there's a trillion other reasons why WWE finds itself in the uh, shape that it's in this these days. But I definitely think that is that is a big factor, is that an alternative was presented and fans <laughs> said, we like this better and maybe it's, it's less out of our week to just watch that and we get sort of a similar adrenaline rush or similar fandom enjoyment out of it that I used to get out of wrestling, but without all the wrestling BS or the WWE <laughs> BS that goes along with watching Raw or SmackDown every week. I definitely think that's, that's should be talked about more. Well, and now. The the pie. I mean, obviously, it's not all doom and gloom. They're financially ridiculously successful, <laughs> and they're oh, set capitalism. for the ne- they're set for the next five years. And the idea is, after those five years are up, the streaming services are going to be so desperate for anything that's going to draw a loyal audience that the streaming services are going to bid, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for for sure. those content. So they should be they should be fine for a very long time. But <laughs> uh, but are they going to be running three hundred scene arenas by then? Does it is it going to matter by then? It's it could be a, an entirely television product by then. Like the, they need to fix the touring model, and I know that um, you and a lot of people are. Harping on the, not harping on, that sound, makes it sound more negative, but point, po- out. point out that NXT is in front of, you know, 250 people at full sale every week or whatever, but, um, it, 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 it might ultimately just be on a soundstage somewhere, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I don't, I think the touring model needs to be fixed. I don't think doing the four shows a week, uh, loop is. Um is good anymore? I don't think it's necessary anymore. Sure. Um ultimately it might just be a TV business entirely in 4 years and you might do I mean you the argument I guess the argument is that house shows can be a loss leader and you're going into smaller markets that you might never go into and you're establishing a connection with fans in those markets, and that's why house, sh- and touring and house shows are still important. But, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are, you are right to point out that their, their model is 100% based on television revenue at this point. And everything, pay-per-view, network subscriptions, all of that, house shows, attendance, all of that is absolutely secondary. So you might very well be right. It might not matter to the company, but does it matter to the? What I guess my other question is: What happens when like the very loyal wrestling audience dies? (laughs) What happens when, uh, you know, when the when the median age hits like sixty-five to seventy, and that's your main audience? um, Are they going to know how? To watch the show if WWE is on Amazon Prime in five years, I mean, it's going to take a whole lot of edu- you know education and re-education of your audience. Oh, can you? I can already hear Michael Cole explaining how to sign up for Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I don't think you have to worry about it to the level that you would if you know it was. It's t- 10 years older, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, things are definitely gonna change, uh, in the next few years. I think, by the way, the right thing to do to, for NXT would be to tape it before SmackDown or Raw, and then run that on USA Network. But I guess they're married to the idea of it being live. Do you think being live matters? I don't. I mean, historically, it never has, has it? No. <laughs> like no. there's always that idea that oh when they go to England or whatever the shows are going to be down, but they never really are at least not demonstrably. Right. So I've I don't I don't think there's any problem with that. And obviously, other than the fact that you know back in the day the show you know when ECW or the original NXT was taped before, uh you know taped before SmackDown or after SmackDown it was always kind of seen as this also ran third brand that nobody really cares about. But as again, as long as you promote it as a big deal, which they never did with ECW past about the third week it was on the air. Um you could but you should, you know, and especially if it's if it, it I think taping it before is, as you said, is probably the would be the better idea in that scenario because then you have people who are just excited to be there and who haven't been beaten down and made <laughs> to feel embarrassed for going to the show by whatever they do on the main SmackDown show, um, you would probably have a hotter crowd. And if you have people like Valor and some other people that are a little bit more established on the NXT brand, that would keep them from, you know, sitting on their hands the way they tend to with, say, 205 Live. Right. I mean, I think, to me, that's the biggest no-brainer. And I haven't seen it brought up too many places yet. But, all right, we've rebooked the territory here. Um... By the way, I, uh, accident, well, not accidentally, but I wanted to update my email address on my WWE Network subscription, and it actually made more sense to cancel the subscription (laughs) and then (laughs) re-sign up with a new email because of how backwards they set the whole thing up. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm currently not a subscriber to the WWE Network for the first time in four years. How does it feel? I don't know. It kind of feels liberating. (laughs) Right? Yeah, no, I, I get that. The thing is, though, this the, the thing is, okay, well, my other question was, is this, you know, now that the, 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 the pie has been carved up, the pie is smaller, the loyal audience is still there, but it's older, and is AEW going to carve that up even more? And I don't know because I think a lot of people are like me in that, you know, if I'm, I'm 35 years old and I've been watching WWE since I was three years old and that's uh, my entire, you know, whatever, that's my childhood, it's, I have a lifetime invested in that company and to just give it up and start watching something else on the other channel. It's like, I don't think people that, uh, I mean, if you're a sports fan, it's like you generally don't give up on your sports team. I don't think people that don't watch sports understand loyalty mm. <laughs> in that way. But anyway, uh, any thoughts on kind of loyalty? Is the sports element, does AEW hurt this even more, carve it up even more? Uh, what's the future? <laughs> well, so far it doesn't appear they do because their audiences seem very Seems like it's people who aren't, based on the age, seems like it's a lot of people who aren't watching WWE right now. Now, perhaps if AEW's numbers, you know, continue to shrink, maybe at some point there will be a pool that both sides begin to draw from. But as of now, it seems that AEW is bringing in a younger audience. Now, as far as loyalty goes, and that's a good point, is can they train, you know, let's say they do really well with teenage boys or with, uh you know young women or whatever can you train those people to want to sit down and watch the show live on TNT every Wednesday night though that's that's the other thing too is yes these having over a million viewers these first few weeks and having you know much younger demographics watch your show that's very impressive especially for you know a startup that never had TV before but it's it is and i do think that's important as to your point is that people whatever happens, WWE has always been there. If you're a wrestling fan, if you've been a wrestling fan for any length of time, whereas AEW is still new and it might not be appointment viewing. It might be a thing where people go, yeah, this is cool. This is fun. But are you going to rearrange your life? Are you going to, you know, rush home to make sure you watch, watch it live on TNT every week and Let's say they do, if they build, a, you know, similarly to say like what Impact built or TNA built, and they have a million people watching them every week, week in and week out, will not miss the show if they were under gunfire. <laughs> um, can they convince those people to buy pay-per-views? Because that's – I mean that's the other thing for me is as far as we know – AEW isn't making any money off their TV deal. They have whatever the barter deal and TNT's paying for production. But so they're right now, they're like an actual wrestling company still. Like they're trying to sell pay per views and merchandise and tickets. Yeah. So it's also, I think right now, AEW is just a completely different animal than, especially as we've just talked about for quite a bit here, is WWE has transitioned to almost an entirely television product. Whereas AEW right now, I think they're still trying to, A, establish a loyal viewership that's going to watch them every week. But B, then once they have that, they also need to convince, you know, 100,000 of those people or 80,000 of those people to buy their pay-per-views and to come, you know, in a subset of that subset uh, to buy tickets when their show comes to your town. Like, so it's – it's that that to me is – they're, they're – Road to b- building any sort of loyalty with their audience. They obviously have that with their hardcore, hardcore fans that have followed, uh, you know, the, the Bucks and, and Kenny and Cody for a couple of years now. But as far as can you build a loyal audience out of a bigger a bigger loyal audience out of what you have right now, watching you every week on TNT? I think it's it's just they're they have they have to take a completely different tack with it right now, though, because they're not making really any money off their TV. Right. It's just the split on the, uh split on the uh ads. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, and I don't know. And they're not publicly traded, so they don't have, they don't have to put their balance sheet out four times a year. So you can take yeah. a look at, take a look at uh, how they're doing financially. So I don't know. All right. It's a, very, it's a fascinating time. It's a free flowing discussion. And that occasionally touched on mature <laughs> subjects. In life. It's we're going to discussion. That's right. You got anything else you want to get into this week? Uh, no, there's uh, another really solid New Japan show uh, last last week and we're we're kind of all set, it seems, for Wrestle Kingdom now. And g uh, I, I don't I guess the, the title's gonna be defended both nights it does appear, so Yeah. You have a, an early prediction on, on who's walking out with both belts at the end of uh, at the end of that January fifth show?
1: Uh
0: Ibushi would be my bat. But uh, every time I bet against Jay White, <laughs> the answer is Jay White. I just don't see a non-Japanese person uh, uh, being in that spot. Yeah, I think it's Abushi or Okada, because um, I think it's never, it's never a bad bet to bet that Okada might just win clean <laughs> with a Rainmaker. Much like it's never a bad bet to, to guess that Triple H might hit a pedigree and win. Uh, I think it's never a terrible bet on a, on a Gato book show, uh, that Okada might just win, win it all. But again, if you do that, unless you're turning over that top mix and you're going to start bringing guys up, uh, it kind of feels like you need, you need either Ibushi or Jay White, or I guess Naito is sort of the other guy on the outside looking in at this point. Um, Here's of this mix. To your point on Naito, I would love to be able to read minds, because my gut uh, just watching the way Naito has been booked for the last two months is that when they started talking about this double title match at Wrestle Kingdom and mm-hmm. the first ever double champion, first ever IWGP and Intercontinental champion at the same time, but the plan was Naito, mm-hmm. but that the plan has changed based on Naito's physical condition this year. Yeah. I would love to know if I'm being uh duped, if I'm a <laughs> if I'm a sucker or if I'm right about that, because Naito is uh physically done. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like they're putting him in matches with like Tai Chi which feels like you you're not putting that guy in the the guy who's gonna win both belts in the main event of your biggest shows ever is not gonna get laid out by Tai Chi on a show in, in October of the year before he does it. So I don't know, man, it's maybe like, I feel like, again, we talk about this every year and somehow Tanahashi is still in this mix because he's the ageless wonder, but it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe Sonata, maybe it's time to move Sonata up into that upper echelon. And I mean, I, I'd hate to see Naito end up, I mean, like, this is a terrible thing, but like end up, you know, in, in that like mix with like Goto, (laughs) <laughs> for like the you know the never open weight guys, but I kind of feel like at this point they've set it up, and they keep talking about you know Okada in every interview talks about how he wants Sonata to be his next big rival, and it's like, well, if you're doing all that, and it also seems like Naito's being put down further on the card, and also, as you pointed out, he just looks it just looks like everything hurts, yeah. Maybe maybe this is a sign that like Okada or Ibushi wins both belts and then Sonata is the guy who goes and wins the G1 next year and faces whoever that winner is at the next year's show. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, Sonata and Evil both uh, I don't want to say they've surpassed as workers because Naito is, is better at a lot of things than both of those guys. Yeah. but But they can both still go and I'm not sure that if you put it, it, i I'm not sure that Nineto can still go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll find out. Uh, Junior Tag League coming to an end next week. Uh, the, as the, uh, Briscoe said, the most boringest tournament ever in the history of wrestling. The World Tag League is in December. <laughs> You get a couple of, in November, December you get a couple of like New Japan Road shows uh third week second or third week in December and then uh we're uh Rust Kingdom time. So I guess we can mention that they're they're starting an American promotion. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. I, I really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I <laughs> So their plan is to run like twenty five shows in twenty five cities in America next year. But the problem is they don't have any. They don't. They don't got no TV here, (laughs) right? I know they got access TV, uh, but I you can't convince me that that's a uh, a uh, momentum shifter. Uh, I'm not kidding. That's a significant driver of uh, potential revenue. Is that whatever viewership you get on access TV? I I just I don't. I can't even get access TV in, you know, right. I'm in Baltimore. I, it's not available on my cable system. I, mean, I can't access get access TV. TV. Was so inconsist- uh, in in uh, in inconsequential that TNA's parent company just bought it so that they could put TNA on television to Isn't, make themselves feel better. Right. They couldn't find anybody to air their show, so they had to buy a TV network. <laughs> right. With Steve Harvey for some reason. Obviously, Steve Harvey. <laughs> Steve Harvey. Uh there's yeah. a weird bizarre amount of like technical business partners that TNA has had or almost had over the years. Yeah. Toby Keith. hmm <laughs> Steve Harvey. Billy Corrigan. Billy Corrigan. Paul Heyman almost. Yeah. What's his name from Survivor? Uh Johnny Fairplay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Jim Ross. Yes. could have been Jim Ross could have been uh You know, doing his his shtick right now in uh, TNA if if the Toby Keith thing it worked out. Can we talk about how Jr needs to stop openly crapping on the AEW product during the body of the
1: show? Yeah, no,
0: no kidding. And it's like I understand that this is not his wrestling, right? But no one forced him to take this paycheck, right? Right. No one. No one's putting a gun to his head and marching him onto a plane. And making him go to these arenas every week and call these shows, correct? They're paying him, I would assume, a fair amount of money to do this, and he is openly complaining about how the the matches don't make sense, and he doesn't get this. And doggone it, will someone please go for a pin? (laughs) And meanwhile, and like, God bless Tony Schiavone, who's just trying to be a good improv partner. Yeah. So he's trying, and so he's caught in the middle of. Excalibur, whose job is to put everything over, you know, like a wrestling announcer. Right. And Shivani, who's kind of the default play-by-play guy, even though none of them are really a play-by-play guy. And then Jim Ross just, like, just speaking with open contempt about things he doesn't like on the show. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if this is, (laughs) if this falls on Tony Khan's shoulders, this falls on, have Brandy do it. He'll probably listen if Randy has wants to have a conversation with him. Um, somebody, somebody, please take Jim Ross aside and say, if you do not want to be here, go home. Otherwise, stop crapping on our television show. You are not helping anything. Shut, shut up, <laughs> shut up, Grandpa. The first thing I would tell Jim Ross would be to stop tweeting. That too. Yeah, it's that's, that's, al- that's good advice for a lot of people in AEW. To be fair, yes. Although to be fair, Jim, it has been weeks since he accidentally hit on on, on an underage <laughs> on an underage girl on Twitter. That's weeks. a sign they have in the back <laughs> at every AEW. I mean, it has been blank yes. number of days since Jim Ross hit on a teenager. Yes. Yes. You know, I I, I think. Deep down, Jim is a good, mm, I'm not sure. I was going to say, I think he's a good guy. I'm not sure about that. Um, Well, it's like, you feel bad when, like, this week on Twitter, he tweeted out how his wife was from Pittsburgh, and he proposed to her in Pittsburgh, and, like, what a special city it is for him, and how much he misses his wife, who died in a terrible accident. And, like, yeah, I don't. I don't wish ill will on the man. I just... Yeah. If he doesn't want to be there, I don't want him to be there. (laughs) I think he wants to be there, though. I think he thinks he's helping by pointing these things out. And it's like, no! Maybe maybe (laughs) he, he could take some notes. And when he thinks of that, and then he can give those notes to Tony Khan or to Alex Marvez or whoever, and they can give them to the wrestlers or something. Like, there's... If I, you might very well be right. You might very well be, you know, he thinks he's coaching or he's helping right. or he's whatever. Exactly. But you, but it can't happen on live television. Right, right. That's well, a way to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's. <laughs> I tell you, I accidentally got Alex Marvis's email address. By the way. Oh, <laughs> interesting. No. Yeah, I think I might just prank email him some. <laughs> Uh, just tell him you work for the Observer site and you want to send him the best announcer of the year award and you yeah. know his address to send the plaque. Yeah, yeah. I might do some stuff like that. <laughs> I'm for it. You know, they're not totally hopeless over there because they did take him off TV. <laughs> You're right. And the, and again, like for the most part, I think Jim Ross has been like 60% fine on, on most weeks of AEW television so far. Right. But this week especially, and it's it's it was just so glaring tonight during that private party in Lucha Bros match. And when Tony Schiavone and Excalibur are talking about like well, you know, in, in Mexico they don't really do tags, so everybody kind of just gets in and out of the ring. And Jim Ross is like, Well that's stupid. Like that doesn't <laughs> help anybody. <laughs> he, it's and more than anything else, it's bad improv. You know? We right. talk about Yes. Yes and not only that, but <laughs> Right. So that's just like Like I said You don't have to fire him But just somebody Somebody talk to him and tell him If you have some thoughts about how they could improve things Please take notes And discuss it with them after the show (laughs) Stop yelling it on national television Yeah Yeah Well once again I feel we've said too much (laughs) Yep, yeah, good times, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until uh, next time, I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. We'll be back soon with more stories from The Wrestling Life.
1: Adios. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at OBPApparel.com.
0: I saw Joker uh, this past weekend. Oh, did you? Have you seen it? I have, yes. That's right, because I remember your tweets about if you like movies with Joaquin Phoenix dancing around in giant underpants, <laughs> <laughs> this is the movie for you. And really, that's like the greatest <laughs> description I could possibly think of it. Yeah. Uh, were you positive or negative on it? Um, I, I liked it. I thought, I didn't think it was perfect or necessarily like a work of high art as it was maybe being trumped up to be by by certain people but i thought it was a a very compelling film and joaquin phoenix is uh very very good um i it's not like a fun movie though you know (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's a story of a man with mental health issues who, in the end, gives in to his cheerful nihilism, and goes on, a, you know, and inspires a mass murder spree. So it's not like, it's not your, you know, your popcorn comic book flick. So it's hard to be come out of it and be like, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I had a good time. Right. But it was right. compelling, and I'm like, I'm glad I saw it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And shocking. I think I would pretty much agree with every one of those points. <laughs> uh, we don't disagree all a lot. Uh, I I had like fifty thoughts while I was watching it. Number one was, except for the end when they start crashing cars, this movie costs absolutely nothing to make. It's just yeah. whatever they paid for Joaquin Phoenix and De Niro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, like they're just gonna stack so much cash. Because this movie cost nothing to make. (laughs) Yes. And it had the biggest October opening of any movie ever. Yeah. Uh, Second, um, I'm just going to take everyone's word for it that Robert De Niro used to be a good actor. (laughs) Um, Because I started, you know, I I was, you know, 15 or whatever, or I, I don't know how old I was, but I was probably... 1314 maybe when meet the parents came out and so that was like my first exposure to to de niro and i've never gone back and watched like you know goodfellas and casino and raging bull and taxi driver and all the classic de niro movies because yeah. who has time and uh so i've never seen robert de niro be a good actor <laughs>
1: <laughs> so
0: i'm just going to have to go ahead and take everyone's word for it <laughs> Yeah, I I feel the same way. I I was like I, at the end of the movie, I was like, "Well, that sure was Robert De Niro. <laughs> he sure was in this movie." <laughs> yes, yes, he was. And maybe uh, it's just because he's just kind of like coasting on his name, right, or whatever. But when you have like someone giving the amount of effort that Joaquin Phoenix is giving in the movie, and it's you know the second biggest star in the movie. With you know, one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie is just like being Robert De Niro. Right. I'm pretty sure he was reading his lines off a uh, prompter. I, <laughs> I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was that was something that stood out. I I'm in favor of a bunch of these one off like stories. Like if, okay, yeah. I don't have I don't have to watch an an 18 part. <laughs> You know, all eighteen installments of a franchise to understand what's going on. I can just right. jump in and do like whatever these Elseworlds kind of stories are. It's like mm-hmm. cool, cool. Big fan of that. Yeah, I think it's, and that's born out of DC trying to copy the Marvel thing where they where everything's connected and failing at it. Like, yeah. And personally, like I'll go to bat for Batman versus Superman, um, especially the extended version on the DVD where they didn't. Uh, you know, in the theatrical version, they kind of cut out Superman's entire motivation for wanting to fight Batman. Which, I mean, why would that be important in a movie called Batman vs Superman? <laughs> but anyway, um, but that movie, while it performed well financially, was a critical bomb. Same with Suicide Squad, and then Justice League was like not received super well critically, and it also didn't make its money back. Right. So it's like now they don't they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like. They have like Wonder Woman off in her corner, and Aquaman made a lot of money, and Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn seems like a marketable character, so they're keeping her. But like, yeah, these otherwise, like they don't know what to do with like Batman. <laughs> they right. don't know. They don't know if they want to keep uh, what's his name as Superman. It appears, and yeah, so it's like they, they, and but they don't want to do full reboot because they like Gal Gadot and uh, Jason Momoa, right. And so it's like we're in this weird, weird, like Frankenstein of a universe where where the the quote unquote main continuity films are kind of very loosely connected. And uh, like in Shazam uh, that came out this year, like the one of the kids wears like Batman T-shirts and it's like the Ben Affleck Batman logo. Mm -hmm. But like, that's kind of it. (laughs) Like there's there's and they talk about like Superman and but neither Ben Affleck or Henry Cavill are likely coming back. So it's like, they can't really like, like set up for like, oh, he's going to meet Superman in the next movie. Because like, we don't really know who's playing Superman or if there's going to be a Superman <laughs> for him right. to meet. Right. So, yeah, I do th- think there's value in them just, especially if you can make it as cheaply as, as you pointed out, as they made this, this one. Um, like, yeah, I think there's value in just let directors come in and kind of, Cut out this their little corners and not worry about continuities or sequels if they don't want to, and just doing yeah, doing these little one offs. I think it's a fine idea. I'm not super psyched about the possibility of the uh, the little the little uh, the little feminine boy playing Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I've heard he's a good actor now. Because after he got all that Twilight money, he just does nothing but artsy films now, I guess. Because I don't think he's been in anything, like, major motion picture-wise since whenever the last Twilight movie came out. So I've read that he's a good actor, but, yeah, there's nothing. (laughs) nothing I'm I'm sure they're going to make him do, like, you know, three months of CrossFit or whatever before. and steroids. yeah. But he's just, he's very, uh, he has very feminine features. And, True. Uh, you know, I know we're, we're inching ever closer to a post gender, uh, society, but, um, I'm not sure that Batman should be, uh, feminine. <laughs> bold bold statements here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm interested to see what they do. They keep casting more people and they keep saying, you know, there's like eight villains in this, and it's like, well, they're I, like, which is weird if you're. If the idea is this is like a back to basics, early career Batman take. It's interesting that they're still going ahead and casting like Catwoman and the Joker and Penguin and whoever else. Right. But uh, you know, I'm. Uh, I don't know. I I <laughs> I I have no bar for <laughs> for anything uh, superhero related at the moment because. The Marvel films are mostly fine, um, and the DC films have been of varying quality. Right. And now there's also this sub universe, as, as you said, where they're just letting them take their existing characters and do little one offs. So I don't know if the idea is eventually you try to connect this younger Batman. Like if you do some big, like, crisis time travel storyline eventually and young Batman gets brought into the gets put in place of the Ben Affleck Batman eventually, or if you just let these guys like hang out in their own corner as well. So so (laughs) a weird time. Can we just address the fact that maybe the reason these D C movies fail is that or not, you know or or have varying levels of success and are comparatively financial failures next to the Marvel uh, juggernauts is because perhaps the DC characters are just outside of Batman are just not all that compelling. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, they made Ant-Man a success. Ant-Man's not more compelling than The Flash, I don't think, or I don't think the Guardians of the Galaxy are particularly compelling characters, but I think people on the, got in on the ground floor of the Marvel thing. Right. And we're willing to just go see those movies because, you know, right. because it had the Marvel logo on it. Right. And, and we're told, well, you know, somebody from one of the other movies will show up if you go sit through Ant-Man. So. Right. But they started. DC tried to jump right into the, and they also didn't do eight solo movies and then build to a Justice League. They did. Right. Right. Two movies, or I guess three, because I think Wonder Woman came out before Justice League. Can you believe this is our job? All right, fire away. Ready to do this? Yes, I am. All right, two, three, four...
1: Bubba Baba basketball, gimme, gimme, give me the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Bubba Baba basketball, give me give me give me the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Bubba Baba Basketball, give me give me give me the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Baba Bubba basketball give me the <laughs> Woo! Alright, now that's how you do it, <laughs> David. it was just getting hot. You are in such good voice today, buddy. I try to keep on, keeping on.